Hello and welcome to The Story, a podcast where great stories are shared and told. Do you love being immersed in drama, romance and suspense? Do you like to forget about the world you live in and step into someone else's world? Do you like to fall in love with characters that seem so real that you can identify with them and you just can't stop thinking about them? Well, you have come to the right place. This is a podcast that does just that. I narrate my second book, Rise of a Source Survival, where each week I read out a chapter of my book and I encourage other writers to join me in sharing some of the stories they have written. It's all about support and listening to a good story. So join us and embark on a journey of storytelling. Hello and welcome back. I hope you've all had a wonderful week. I spent some time with a friend of mine and it was so good to catch up. I think it is important to have good friends. They become like an extension of your own family. And I've always told my daughters, it doesn't matter how many friends you have, as long as the ones you have, you can count on them and they'll be there for you. The friend that I caught up with does a lot of community work and I feel that these people are so important. They are gold, and I'm super proud of her. So something I wanted to share with you is that last week when my husband and I were out hiking the trails with our dogs, my hubby unintentionally took a photo of something bizarre. When he was going through the photos late evening, he zoomed in as he noticed one of our dogs looking at something before she turned to him when he called her to snap the pic. It was one of those iPhone live photos. The image he showed me, I thought looked like a spirit, maybe from one of the people who lived in the area many years ago. I've showed the pic to others and some have said the same thing. However, when I showed my dad, he noticed horns that I hadn't noticed before and wings. Now, some people may say that it sounds like an overactive imagination and possibly it could be. But what if it is something else? Have you ever encountered anything similar? Or perhaps you have a story about a spooky experience. Let me know and I can share it on the podcast if you're happy for me to do that. You can email me at thestorypodcast, all in one word, at outlook.com or DM me on Instagram, jules underscore writes, that's J-U-L-S. Or come and join us on our Facebook group, The Story. Okay. Let's do a recap from last week's episode, Anja. The Seers celebrates their first win with what they've learned from Mosin, which was the tunnel systems, and that Dardanus lives near Dorhill Pass. Anja is still grieving for Igenbrook, and we learned how they met so many years ago when Anja was just a 10-year-old girl. Anja has a dream and encounters Dardanus, who picks up on her presence. Anja feels Eigenbrook helped rescue her, and she reveals Dardanos uses her tentacles to probe the ground, looking for villages and to pose surprise attacks. She learns that there's to be a great battle and that Merrick will need as much help as he can. The Asaur are a strong adversary. Okay, let's start today's episode. Get comfy and enjoy. Ulrich heard the shrill cry of a hawk 
as it circled above, looking for prey on the land that lay beneath it. He felt his sister's presence as he turned his face to look at the large brown bird flying above. Brother, you need to make your way to the villages that lie to the east. Ulrich frowned when he heard his sister's words. I don't understand. We must catch up to Papa and find out more about the Assault, he told her. You will in time, but first you must gather the army that our father could not. We need as many to fight the evil that lingers in the world. The gods have a plan. Ada stopped herself. She already had revealed too much. She did not mean to tell Ulrich of the plan that she'd yet to find more about. It was dangerous to reveal vital, vital clues. The Asaur were becoming stronger in their mind travel, and it was hard to know who was listening, regardless of whether she could feel their presence. Ulrich took a deep breath and let it out slowly. He wondered when all this would end. Memories of when he would go to the river that ran behind his home village with his dog were becoming distant. He longed for the world to be normal again and for this ancient enemy to be put to rest for an eternity. Patience, dear brother, I hear your thoughts. We need to be strong and united. We will conquer and overcome. Ulrich smiled. His sister had always been the stronger one, confident in who she was, and had the courage to set sail in her own ship, trusting the gods to guide her in the right direction. She'll make an excellent seer when we finally return to a life resembling some type of normalcy, he thought. Don't I make a good seer now, Ulrich? The question caught Ulrich off guard, and he chuckled. I stand corrected. Yes, dear sister, you make a fine seer. He heard her soft laughter inside his mind and was instantly grateful for her presence and strength. The trio turned east, heading for the villages that lay closest to the sea. This new turn of events both intrigued and surprised them. The sky was a breathtaking blue and a slight breeze blew cooling the perspiration on Kriya's forehead. She looked at the sun that had climbed the sky and cast its warmth on earth below her. She'd been a little taken aback when Ulrich had told them that they had to head east and gather an army, but she understood the reasoning. Her nephew had come a long way since she'd first met him, and she knew that this was difficult for him. A kind, sensitive soul that relished his own presence who'd been thrust into making critical decisions. Ulrich, the boy with the teardrop-shaped birthmark, now led them on a quest that would help save humanity. Kriya understood why she and Katja had been told to go with Ulrich. They were skilled warriors, but struggled with making the human connection that came so easily to the son of Merrick. Kriya understood all that now, and she was both grateful and honoured to have been given the task of protecting and serving her young nephew. Ulrich pushed his horse as much as he dared. They had no extra mounts, and he was careful not to make his bay gelding lame. The day was drawing to a close when they came across their first village. Charcoal remains were all that was left, 
a town blackened by the fire that had devoured it. It was not an unfamiliar sight. They had come across villages before this one that the Asaur had torched and destroyed. They combed the surrounding area for any survivors, but the landscape revealed none. As the summer evening descended, Ulrich set up camp for the night. Kriya made a small fire and roasted the hare she had caught not that long ago. Ulrich seemed deep in thought, reflecting on the day that had just passed. Katja came to sit beside his newly found best friend. Ulrich, I have an idea. Ulrich turned to look at the young warrior beside him. Katja found Ulrich's father in the snow, barely alive. Merrick had suffered a back injury when he had fallen, and Katja had brought the injured man to Marta, the daughter of the chief of Katja's village. Marta was training to be a healer and was able to nurse Merrick back to health. Katja held Ulrich's gaze as he told him of his idea. Most told us of Comey, your grandfather's counsellor, who was caught and then escaped. I think he may have come this way, or be heading back to the east coast. It makes sense. Ulrich tilted his head, frowning at his friend. Go on, he encouraged him. Katja nodded and smiled briefly before continuing. It's simple. The Asaur have come from there, taking everything. They could. Burning everything in their path, leaving a trail of destruction. There would be no need to go back. They are heading north towards the pass, and time is of the essence. So no, they would not come back this way. It makes no sense. Ulrich considered what the man had just told him. It made sense that Pankomi would not have to encounter the enemy if he went back to where they had just come from. The only thing was if the Asaur had left a recon party, find and slay any survivors. He voiced this concern to Katja. Katja shook his head. No, they'd be long gone. They would not have the time to hang around looking for survivors. Ulrich nodded. Guess you are right. The next few days will tell us. Trial began to gradually become steeper as it slowly wound its way up the mountain path. A forest graced the sides of the path, giving off the sweet scent of pine. Eleanor let the aroma fill her senses. It had been so long since she had enjoyed the sense of smell before it made her feel sick. Merrick went with the scouts to look for a place where they could rest for the night. He had left Talit to lead the group, and Eleanor joined him as she urged her mare into a trot to catch up to him. He gave her a broad smile when she came alongside him. Ah, Nori, my favourite person, how are you? Feeling better? Eleanor blushed slightly as he asked her this. She'd forgotten that she'd told no one about her pregnancy. Yes, Talit, I am feeling better, she returned his smile. Talit held Eleanor's gaze a moment more than usual, before he looked away. Eleanor frowned. Is there something wrong? She felt a little confused. Talit was usually straightforward and to the point. He now appeared a little perplexed at her reaction. Pushed her concerns to the back of her mind. She'd always felt comfortable in front of, front of Talit. Now she felt awkward, 
almost shy as she contemplated about what to say to him. Her mind was at a loss and an uncomfortable silence followed between them. She gazed out over the tree line and took a deep breath of the fresh air. Once again, it filled her senses. If they hadn't been running for their lives, she would have felt giddy with exhilaration. Suddenly, Merrick could be seen up ahead as he made his way back with the scouts. He approached Talit and Eleanor with a smile on his face as he told them he'd found a place to bed for the night. Merrick had chosen to camp a little way from the trail. The tree line hid an open patch of grass and offered a place of shelter and where they could set up a fire. It was large enough to accommodate the growing number of humans as the army Amzi had spotted a couple of days previous had finally caught up to them. The sun was still high enough in the sky for the men to organise a hunt. Merrick felt more in control than he had since being told to go find an army to fight the assault, and it felt good. Merrick summoned any man wanting to go hunting and was surprised at how many wanted to go. Most craved to have a break from the monotony of being on the run and having to set up a camp every night, not knowing what lay ahead. A hunt offered adventure and time away from the reality they now lived. I can't take you all, but... He held up his hand as a murmur of disappointment rippled through the throng of men standing in front of him. I promise there will be another. Those of you who don't go will come on the next one. I will take twenty men. The ones that stay behind, give your names to Talit, and I promise you, we'll have a chance in going on future hunting parties. A quiet cheer rang out when they heard their leader's offer. Most followed Merrick, not because he was son of Eigenbrook, but because he offered them hope. He was a fair and kind leader who loved his people and many offered a prayer of thanks for being in the group that had first been given Talit as leader and then Merrick when he had caught up to them after finding about his father's death. Eleanor watched the group leave the camp. An excitement had rippled through it as the men quickly bid their families goodbye and mounted their horses. An energy of positivity descended upon them and soon laughter and conversation filled the air. Eleanor smiled. The feeling of euphoria she had felt before had not left and she quickly gave thanks to the gods that they were still alive and that she now carried the future in her womb. After the hunting party had, had departed, she looked for Sabin. He would not have gone, preferring to stay and gossip with those who had been left behind. A smile crossed her face when she thought this. Sabin always brought light to a gloomy day. She made her way through the camp looking for the curly-haired man and was pleased when she spotted him not far away. As she neared, she noticed he was talking with Huxley, Edith's older son. Eleanor hesitated for a moment before Sabin caught sight of her and called out. There was no turning back now and she forced a smile as she waved to the two men. Ah, here is a sight for one sore eyes then, Sabin chuckled. Eleanor giggled 
as she embraced one of her best friends. Huxley watched the pair, not showing any sign of emotion. His unkept beard was long and matched the length of his hair that hung down to the middle of his back. A vacant stare filled his eyes, and when Sabin introduced him, he barely added an nodded an acknowledgement. Eleanor felt uncomfortable and unsure of what to say, but as always, Sabin broke the awkwardness. Ah, Huxley, Eleanor is good, ye can trust her, Sabin said. Should we have some tea? I can make us some if you like. Eleanor asked the young man that stood in front of her. Huxley shook his head, but did not speak. I, I must confess, dear Nori, that we are having some lovely beverage. That is, well, let's say it's the relaxing type that is not tea. Sabin chuckled as he said this. Huxley offered no response and continued to stare bank- blankly at Eleanor. Shall we come back to my camp then? Eleanor asked. Sabin nodded, smiling. The three of them made their way to Eleanor's Eleanor was unsure of how she would start a conversation with Huxley. He seemed to be quiet and indifferent. She was relieved Sabin was coming. He would break the, help break the silence. When they reached her small camp, she set about making some tea. She knew Sabin had said they were drinking the red drink. The tea would help reduce the headache they would have the next day. Sabin sat on the log in front of the fire that was almost out. He threw one more kindling that Eleanor had collected earlier. You need a bit more of a flame, Nori, to heat that kettle up for your tea. Eleanor smiled. Sabin, the tea is for you and Huxley as well. You are both going to need it, and I know you will thank me for it later. Sabin chuckled, shaking his head. Aye, I guess I should thank the gods that I have ye, lucky man that I am. The three sat in silence, the men drinking their wine and Eleanor sipped her tea. She thought about what to say to break the silence. So, Huxley, how old are you? It was the only thing she could think of, and she chastised herself for not being more creative. At first she did not think he was going to answer her, but to surprise he did. I'm twenty-two, but I don't like to have birthdays anymore. He offered no more information instead going back to his silent self. Why is that? Eleanor asked. She stared at the young man. He did not meet her gaze. Instead, he kept his head lowered, staring at the ground below. Huxley sighed and took a long drink from his cup. Sabin had kept quiet. He knew Eleanor wanted to get to know Huxley more. Another long pause. I've seen the devil. She took Papa, and my brother. It's not right that I have birthdays. Huxley's words sent shivers down, shivers down Eleanor's spine. She? Sabin asked. Eleanor frowned. He had said she, and that was odd. Most people presumed the devil was male. Huxley took another long drink, and wiped his mouth with the back of his hand, and took a deep breath. Yep. She is the devil. Huxley offered no more information. Instead, he stood up from his seat, looking awkwardly at Sabin and Eleanor, murmuring a quick goodbye before he left. Eleanor thought about what Huxley had said. 
make sense that the leader of the assault could be female. And why is that? She looked at Sabin, who also was digesting what Huxley had just said. Aye, Nori, not sure what to say to ye. Huxley has never said anything to me like that. Sort of makes you think. He rubbed the stubble on his chin as he reflected on the words Huxley had spoken. We need to find out more, Sabin. I mean, he knows things, and it would help us find out more about them, don't you think? Eleanor asked her friend. Sabin nodded. Ye have a point, Nori, but how do we do that? I mean, he doesn't talk very much, as you found out. Eleanor smiled. Have a plan, Sabin, and you have to help me with it. Sabin chuckled. Hey, Nori, I'd love to. As the three travelled east, the scenery changed. The Asaur had reduced the forest that had graced the landscape with its beauty to a blackened mass of ash. Now slowly it seemed they had spared some trees. Ulrich, who all his life had felt a connection to nature, noticed the change. It was subtle at first, but the green curtain had slowly descended. He reined in his gelding, inspecting his surroundings. Can you notice something? He asked his aunt and friend. They both stopped beside him, finally taking a good long look at the landscape that unfolded and unfolded in front of them. What is it, Ulrich? asked Kriya. You can't see it? Ulrich asked again. Kriya shifted in a saddle, looking from front to back, not quite understanding what Ulrich was asking. She shook her head. Do you see anything, Catcher? Catcher frowned. There seems to be more trees, he mused. Yes, Ulrich almost shouted. Don't you see? Nature is on our side. They are fighting back too. The forest is not only coming back to life, but some parts are still alive, and they are thriving. I think it is their way of saying they will not be defeated. They are loyal warriors, fighting for survival and putting up the best fight of their lives. Ulrich euphoric. Kriya took a closer look at the forest that flanked their sides. The blackened stumps had given way to a slight green, and as the land travelled further, the green grew to trees that were standing tall and very much alive. Kriya could see why Ulrich had become excited. It meant there was hope, and they had a formidable, formidable ally. The group of three seemed to be invigorated by Ulrich's discovery and moved at a quicker pace. They passed villages which had been burnt to the ground, nothing but a pile of ash and crumbled stones. It brought a sadness, but Ulrich would not give in to the despondency. Instead, he pushed forward. The forest had offered a taste for a future, and Ulrich hungered for more. Four days passed, bringing the same scene of burnt-out villages and no survivors. As they neared yet another village, Ulrich asked for them to stop. Something didn't seem right. He couldn't shake the feeling. It seemed to smother him in uncertainness. What is it? Catcher asked his friend. Ulrich frowned, peering down at the village. They had been travelling at a fast pace, and the weather had been kind so as not to slow them down. This meant... They'd covered more ground than they thought they would have been able to. The forest had slowly thickened, 
Parts were still blackened, and yet others untouched. This had puzzled Ulrich somewhat. Even though he knew the forest had bounced back, it had amazed him at the speed it had. He looked at the village. It had the familiar blackened ash and pile of stones as all the others they had passed. This had houses still standing. Ulrich looked over to the forest that grew alongside it. It appeared to be healthier, full of green foliage. Birds and insects buzzed alike. He looked back at the village. You are full of inner wisdom, Ulrich. That is your weapon, your armour. Never doubt yourself. This is why the gods have chosen you, the voice gently whispered. Ulrich was unsure who had spoken the words. They had not come from his sister or his grandmother. He was uncertain if they had come from the seer. It helped to seek clarity. All his life he had doubted himself and sought refuge in the forest that lay behind his home, village. He preferred the company of his canine companion rather than boys his age, and he loved to run the trails that zigzagged behind his home. Nature had always beckoned him, and now a slow realisation dawned on him. It was all a precursor to the present moment. Ulrich, who never wanted to be a warrior, leader, now was leading the way, and discovering nature was the best and biggest friend he had at that moment. The difference he had always felt now was becoming the difference in the world. Humanity needed more than hope. It needed a saviour to help them overcome a threat that was intent on destroying their existence. As this slowly came to fruition in Ulrich's mind, he felt strong, confident and empowered. Once again he scanned the village, below, before giving the signal to move forward. Three looked for survivors, skimming the surroundings as they entered the village. I will look in the remaining houses, Ulrich, said. Ulrich looked over at his aunt, and he could feel her energy. She was intent on finding a human alive. The hunt for survivors brought nothing. It appeared again that no one had survived the destructive grasp of the assault. Nothing, Kriya almost shouted. Ulrich could see she was upset. She'd been intent on finding someone. Keep looking. Did not quite understand why he encouraged her to do this, but something tugged at him. He looked for Catcher and could see the strong young warrior looking towards the forest. Ulrich frowned. As something caught his eye? He made his way to him, wanting to know what had caught his attention. Catcher, what is it? Ulrich asked him. I'm not sure. I mean, I thought I saw something, but, yeah, I'm not sure. Ulrich pushed past Catcher, urging his gelding into the dense undergrowth. As he pushed through, he thought he heard someone running. He pulled on the reins, bringing his gelding to a stop as he listened. The forest remained quiet, except for the occasional hum of an insect and the call of a bird. He urged his horse forward as something was pulling, luring him further into the forest. Ulrich scanned the tree line, a mixture of blackened trunks and thick trees. He urged his horse forward, 
focusing on his surroundings. There, was that a shadow? Could not be certain. He stopped, leaning forward in his saddle as he peered ahead. There, saw it again, a slight movement. So slight, if he had not fixated on the spot ahead, he would have missed it. Ulrich waited. Catcher soon joined him, quietly pulling up alongside him. Catcher had been trained to hunt, to stalk and kill his prey, and understood the importance of being patient. Ulrich put a finger to his lips and pointed in the direction where he'd seen the movement. Catcher nodded and waited beside his friend. A breeze blew, rustling the leaves of the trees, revealing a figure standing to the right of a large oak tree. The person was only half hidden and appeared to be debating on whether to remain hidden or show themselves. Ulrich called out to him, We do not mean you any harm, please. We only want to help. I'm Ulrich, son of Merrick, and have asked to find and have been asked to find survivors. The man stepped out fully from behind the tree. Putting his hand up, he gave a wave and waited. Catcher went to greet the man, with Ulrich following behind. As they drew closer, they noticed how unkept he was. His tunic was in tatters. He had a receding hairline that did not match his long, filthy beard. He looked malnourished, and he had strips of rags wrapped around his feet in a futile attempt to protect them. You are a sight for sore eyes. Praise the gods. I have seen no one. I thought I was the only one left, and the Asaur had won their battle of ridding the planet of humans. Tears ran down his face as he knelt, sending a prayer to the gods before looking up at Ulrich and Catcher. The men waited patiently until the man stood again. I am so relieved it is you, Ulrich. I knew Merrick would not let them win. Eigenbrook must be so proud. Thank the gods. Ulrich frowned as the man said this. A thought crossed his mind. Could this be Pangomi? So thank you for listening. I appreciate your time and truly am grateful. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe where you listen to all your favourite podcasts. Take care, everyone, and see you next week on The Story, the podcast where great stories are told. Bye for now.